you're nobody till somebody loves you. You're nobody till somebody Ain't that dead right? Welcome back to Range Anxiety. We're all nobody till somebody loves us. Thank you, Dean Martin. What an iconic old track from a great performer from the Vegas days in the Rat Pack. I love Dean Martin. Bit cheesy, isn't it? And of course, welcome back to Range Anxiety. 30 years of general mucking around with motor cars in 30 minutes. And it is a blisteringly hot week in Adelaide this week. Like, really hot. Only says it's 37 or 38 degrees, which is around 100 F, I think, or just just over. Uh, but it seems hotter than that because it's day after day after day. And yeah, we're struggling a little bit. The air conditioner's struggling a little bit to uh, keep up in the sound booth today, which also happens to be my beloved Tesla Model 3 SR Plus, the little baby. Um, but yeah, it's got good air, just like the big boys do. Welcome back to all of my listeners around the world. We're really, really taking off in America. Now our American listeners outweigh our Australian listeners. And that probably tells you something. Too many people in Australia know me and go, nah, I don't want to listen to that guy rambling on. Fair enough. Well, today's epicast uh, called Talks Cheap. Because talk is cheap. And I don't mean talks cheap, show me the time cards, which was a, a great saying in the old days when we used to go drag racing yeah i know a tiny bit about it not not a great deal but talks cheap when it comes to running numbers at the track and it all brings me back to what happened last weekend out at uh roll racing adelaide i, I never thought i'd get as sort of hooked on it as i am so it really is a, a pretty um blisteringly simple at first glimpse or glance, non-technical way of taking your car out for a bit of fun. However, that all changes if you want to win. You see, winning versus competing, even in this social motorsport, are two very, very different things. Take that from someone now that has tuned up and helped put together a couple of winners out of eight events, you know, where we've got a pretty good sort of hit rate when it comes to getting on the podium or, or being in P1. Only workshop that's run, won it twice in South Australia is Powertech Tuning. Probably the only workshop that's there. No, not exactly true. Now, some of you might remember back from Tune Awards, which has probably been our most popular epicast some time back. Tune Awards was an interesting thing. Um, I talked about watching people... Uh, modify their cars and spend too much time looking at data logging and too much time messing around with some of the basics versus the guys and girls that just go out there and just turn everything off and just run it like an analog old school car. You can't do either if you want to be quick. That is true. You cannot do either. If you spend too much time concentrating on one thing, then you don't get the other right. Now, what, what this is leading me into is I'm going to talk about every tuner's, allegedly, every tuner's or every beginner's tuner's worst enemy, which is a software strategy or, or, or a name for a blanket of software strategies that en encompasses a wide variety of things known as talk management. Now, the first thing that springs to the mind of the inexperienced 
is whenever you're talking about managing your talk, you're talking about reducing it. In most cases, that is correct. And anything to do with reducing talk is a terrible, terrible thing that you don't want to know about. Well, yes and no. Traditionally, what would happen when talk management was first introduced in our Holden Commodores, which would have, well, they've always had some degrees of talk management, but it was only the fly-by-wire cars, so let's say the VZ onwards, that could effectively implement any sort of torque control. And in those, it was pretty rudimentary and pretty nasty, but VE onwards, we started to get some torque controls. So we had all sorts of tip-in torque limiting. We had transmission torque limiting. We had we had a handful of, you know, by-gear torque limiting, um, you know, uh, uh, tra- traction control. Uh, is, is also comes under torque management. Rev limiting comes under torque management. Cruise control operation comes under torque management because to do that, the vehicle needs to be able to control the torque output of the engine. And it all becomes very simple and very straightforward or very straightforward to understand with a fly-by-wire car because, um, how do I explain it? when you hit the the gas pedal the throttle pedal the accelerator pedal just like in a tesla you're not opening the throttle body what you're doing is requesting an amount of torque which then the vehicle's ecu will then put through a a series of sums and spit out a torque figure at the end of it that it's actually looking for which requires this much throttle angle which requires this much fuel which requires this much spark which requires this much cam angle you see how it's starting to get fairly tricky and those old things and nothing like you know what what's going on in 2007 2008 2009 is absolutely nothing like what's going on today i mean there that there is that much torque management in current ecus now both factory and aftermarket that basically the, the the vehicle runs the entire time under a guise of torque management. Like every single thing that the engine does and the transmission does is a subject of a torque management operation. So what used to happen in the old days, and when I say old days, I'm talking pre-2010, or maybe for some beginners not that bloody long ago at all, is that everyone used to get out there, they used to take their standard car to the drag strip, their standard Commodore, and you know, a couple of little bolt-ons on it, and they'd run like a 12.9 in it, or you know, a 13 if they were sort of struggling a little bit and then they'd get in the software they'd turn all the torque management off so it ran like an old school car an old school carby car and they'd run like a 13.3 the gearbox would be banging around the rev limiter would be bouncing the wheels would be lighting up absolute shit the smart guys never ever disabled torque management even in those early ecus the smart guys would keep some aspects of it and modify the parameters by which the torque output or the torque request is calculated. You see, and these are the guys and gals that went quick. It's taken a long time for people to wrap their minds around this. And yeah, even even now, some people just don't get it. And, and turning all of the torque calculations off and just running the thing raw is generally the slowest way to run a car. Now, let me go back and put that into some perspective for you. Um, 
all of our friends at Roll Racing. Again, I said at the time, I was very surprised that we won it in the Audi. It had probably the least horsepower of any car in the top 10. Very good driveline, works deceptively well, yada, 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 great gearbox, like I've said. But not much in the way of grunt, but nothing could hunt it down by the end of the track. So there were various reasons for this, but its main reason for doing what it did was torque management. Yep, that's right. Even with an aftermarket ECU, an ECU like the Cyvex S12 plug-and-play Hurricane R8 kit, they run essentially under a guise of torque management the whole time, just like the standard Audi ECUs did. So it's not like you just modify a fuel map, a timing map, a boost map, and off you go. It's nothing like that. Most of the cars we were running against, particularly in the finals, were what I like to call old school cars. They were light cars with thumping big, powerful motors in them, big tires on them, and making, you know, tons of grunt, like, and had a power to weight ratio, in most cases I reckon probably double, in terms of, on the horsepower favorable side, double what the Audi had. They had amazing power to weight ratios and they were bloody fast. Now, when they do that, the only way the people setting up these cars can make them work is by making sure that the tire works on the track the entire time so their way of torque management with these old school cars is between tire track chassis and maybe converter maybe the way the trans does its thing so what they're doing is they're doing torque management as well but they're doing it the long and sort of you know convoluted way changing lots of big mechanical and and traction things mechanically to try and achieve the same kind of result that we can achieve by clever ecu adjustment so how does that work i mean the, the guys the, the the two guys we raced in the end in the finals were running hot rods like when i say like 32 ford style things you know they were real little cars with real big tires and real crazy engines in them. And they were beautiful, beautiful cars. But they, and very, very fast. But they were what I call era cars. You know, I, I, I didn't even look at them closely enough to work out how injected they were or whatever, but I imagine they weren't running any sort of form of advanced torque management in the things. But they were planted, really well planted in the track. And during the day, they looked, when the sun was up and the temperature was up, they looked to be much faster than our Audi R8 from the initial hit through to crossing the line. I looked at those things and thought, shit, one of these cars is gonna win this event. They are bloody awesome, awesomely fast things. You know, cars that have been developed with owners over years, one of them had a $90,000 paint job or something. They were beautiful, beautiful cars. But what they couldn't do was adapt for the changing conditions. What do I mean by changing conditions? Well, I had a good look at some of the data logging of, of the Audi, and what happened is as the sun went down, everyone put on their long sleeves, their ambient temperature dropped, oh, it would have been a good solid 15, 12 to 15 C. I could see that the inlet temperatures post intercooler of the engine, uh, the R8 V10, that had dropped some 11 C, so obviously we were making more horsepower, and most importantly the surface temperature of the track and its tractive ability changed and it changed a lot and nobody sort of got this nobody worked out how to dial their car 
into the surface of the track. Now, I also suffered from that as well because, you know, I expected the Audi to be knocked out in the top 50 or top 25 around there somewhere, judging by its visual performance during the day. So I didn't plug into it and, and modify any torque strategies, any torque management. I just didn't care because I was just quite happy to see it running and running reliably. However, the Cyvex S12 has this huge safety net inside it of inherent torque management, traction control, and really seamless motorsport stuff. And combine that with the operation of the gearbox that I rave on about, the, the car's inherent speed through the air, the fact that the horsepower took a jump as uh, the temperatures dropped. You know, I'd say it probably would have been up another 50 horsepower over what it was on the dyno. So, you know, we would have been approaching 800 wheel horsepower. So it was certainly no slouch. But I noticed that the big boys that I expected to knock the Audi out were struggling on the hit. On the hit, they were spinning wheels. On the hit, they were getting loose. On the shift, they were starting to squirm around. And every time, the Audi just went boom, 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 down the track, dead straight, straight as an arrow, on its road tyres, at 40 PSI, without a misfire, batting an eyelid, it just went, and it went hard. That's why it won. That and a bit of skillful driving in the staging area by the, by the operator, Daniel, who, who explained his strategy to me the next day. Absolutely excellent. You see, unless you can adapt to the changing conditions of the racetrack, you're not going to be able, you're either going to optimise the car for the start of the day or the end of the night. You're not going to have a car that's fast in either direction. So luckily for us, the way it all worked out is the car was optimised when the sun went down and when everything got cooler at the end of the night. And that's why we put in a really good performance and that's why we won. I spoke to John and I had a look at some of the setup of the GDR and that was starting again, it's on 21 inch road tires, not next time, but that was starting to squirm around, have problems with, with hooking up its boost, uh, rolling boost setting because it doesn't run, it runs a factory ECU and while it is quite sophisticated and does a fair bit of torque management, it's nowhere near as seamless as a proper professional motorsports ECU like the Cyvex S12. So that's why John struggled and he got knocked because he just got his rolling boost a bit, bit wrong, didn't have it quite where he wanted, and by the time he let go of the button, he wasn't on it long enough, wasn't up to boost, boom, bogged. And the thing about this, this roll racing craze is very much like drag racing. If you lose the first part of the track you've lost the entire race doesn't matter how much power you've got when you're up against you know other heavily powered cars you ain't going to run them down in you know a couple of 300 feet or 400 feet or whatever it is 220 or 30 40 meters you just aren't going to run them down so that initial torque management and making the vehicle work properly across the line at the start of the track is where all of the work is done and you're just along for a passenger ride after that what else did we find out from looking at data? Uh, we were running, we were getting up to 1.4% wheel spin up to 200 and, oh no, 190 kilometres an hour, which is not bad, you know, it's still a bit on road tyres, not enough to invoke any sort of traction control that was audible, some slight throttle control possibly. 
I'm not going to go into our little secrets there. They're my secrets. They've cost me a lot of hair that I don't have anymore. Um, how much power differential was there? Well, we were trapping 215 during the day. 100 and, I don't know, 134 or 5 mile an hour. That went up to 228 by the end of the night, you know, 140-something mile an hour. So, yeah, there was a big difference in power. A lot of that may have been to uh, Danny getting the rolling boost better at the start, but I believe it was purely temperature and torque management related. So, yeah, we grew in speed as the event progressed because the car was able to use every single last horsepower it had putting it on the track without the driver having to lift, button, uh, excessive rev limiter bashing, none of that. And the scariest thing is not only do we have that strategy dialed in really well now, particularly coming into the what should be cooler events, I had a look at the fuel system via the data logging and yes, you know, people were saying to me, who wins an event like that with five pounds of boost? Like I'm a liar. Well, you know, we only had wastegate springs in it. Sorry, I'm happy to put up that IP if you want to see it, if you want to see the logs. But I'm not really worried because next time I reckon looking at the fuel system data and having a look at the clutch data out of the transmission, I reckon we can support another 200 horsepower at the wheels. I reckon we can get this thing with, with the fuel that's left up our sleeve and with the amount of clutch left up our sleeves with the DSG tune, I reckon we can support a thousand at all four. Combine that with the torque management we got on board and people are going to have to start pulling their fingers out to catch this thing. A couple of mates of mine that are quite successful at this fledgling roll racing sport in um, the eastern seaboard, they come back with a simple, a simple equation, and the equation is 800 wheel horsepower in an Audi Lambo equals a thousand wheel horsepower in a GDR equals 1300 to 1400 wheel horsepower in a Holden Ford or Chev, and that seems to be about right because of the, again, the way the cars work, the amount of torque management that's on board, and just generally, that's the way it is if you look at these results. So an Audi slash Lambo with a thousand horsepower at all four is gonna be the equivalent of, you know, 1600 horsepower of old school muscle in, you know, providing they're a similar weight, which most of them aren't. So yes, we're really looking forward to winding the wick up on that car. Um, how are we going to do it? Just very simply plug in a three-port boost valve, which the Cyvex has got all the provision for, and just give it a boost map that is, will go up to say nine or 10 PSI, but can also be rapidly modulated across the track duration via the torque management system to make sure that, we, again, we have optimum traction the whole time. Like, you know, for example, on the rolling launch, we probably won't give it a boost aim of, of 10 PSI because it'll just light the tyres. We will boost aim it closer to five and then let the traction control and torque management take over from there and feed the boost via gear, as they do in the US with these platforms, as it gets faster and faster. So yeah, um, providing we don't have any bad luck with that car, that car is going to be a much more impressive next time you see it. This was only ever what we like to say in the game. This was only ever what was called a test hit. So let's go back to looking at the numbers again. Um, my partner John and, and his brother Danny, who have won two events, one in the GDR, one in the, the Audi, as, as you know, um, 
they have the ultimate weapon up their sleeve for this that should be here by the end of the year for Roll Racing 2022, which is the Model S plate that I keep raving on about. Why? Because not only has it got over a thousand horsepower out of the box, not only will it run a flat nine second quarter out the box, trapping at 155-ish, which is just mental on a road car. It also has that family of cars have the very talk, best torque management I've ever worked with in my life because the pistons aren't going up and down and we don't have to close throttles and and um, interrupt the engine's output with misfire. We generally, we don't have the problems of interrupting the intermittent cycle of an internal combustion engine and having that sort of uh, slight delay when everything's happening because the engine is rotational with an electric motor, you can seamlessly, to the point where the driver cannot even feel it, interrupt and tailor the torque of the engine. So yeah, that thing, I don't care what anybody says or what anybody thinks, the facts will speak very loudly when we take it out, but that will decimate, absolutely decimate anything else that you will see out there. And I just can't wait. I wanna be the first one to have a hit in it. I probably won't be but I would really like to be because, you know, as everyone that listens to these Epicasts know, I've, I've got a, a love affair going on with these things. Now, I did notice some old mates that were out there that with 1,300, 1,400 horsepower V8s in bigger, more modern bodies, just putting their cars on the trailer before the eliminations even got underway because, you know, even, even as it started to get dark towards the end of the qualifying, you know, people were lighting up and stuff, and yeah, I've got too much horsepower for the track, I've got to get bigger tyres. Guys, you're never going to win this event, and you're never going to do any good at this event until you understand how to set up your ECU properly to do it. And if you can't do it, because your ECU is not sophisticated enough to do it, either understand that, and either understand that it's hard for you to ever going to be able to win, particularly in a two-wheel drive, put a decent ECU in the thing and then spend uh, a lot less time on the dyno and a lot less time looking at the power output of the thing and a lot more time working on the torque management. Now, anyone that's been around proper race cars, i.e. anything at the high level of, of, of circuit racing, for example, will know that most of this technology is banned or was banned early in the piece because it's so good and the tiny little fragments of torque management and traction systems that are allowed in top end motorsport now, and I call them tiny fragments because they could be a lot more effective than they currently are, are, are the key between winning and losing any race. So if they're the key between winning and losing any race at the top level of motorsport, what the hell makes you think they're not the key between winning and losing at what we like to know as the bottom level of motorsport. Just think about it. It's all logical. To get the results of a pro, you have to think like a pro. And the first thing that that requires you to do is very firmly get hold of your dyno sheet, screw it up, and throw it in the bin because power should be the very, very least of your concerns. You need enough, but you don't need too much. You don't need to wind your car to the ragged edge. I mean, I've seen seven second drag cars out at these events on an unprepped surface getting beaten by stand, well, near standard road cars that run 11s. 
because they don't have any talk management. You probably know who you are. Now, if I've given you a free kick here and I've told you how we, how we do it, I've only told you part of the story. We have a ton more talk management tech and strategy left up our sleeves. Having said that, because I'm quite confident at the moment, it'll come back and bite me and we'll be nowhere next round. If that's the case, that's motorsport. But it won't be due to our thinking being wrong. It may just be down to bad luck. And with that, I'll sign out for this Epicast. Thank you for listening to Range Anxiety. And please remember, feedback, feedback, feedback to dtech, D-T-E-C-H at S-E-N-E-T dot com to A-U. And thanks once more for listening.